Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Harriet Izeki has packed plenty into her life. She was a teacher, curriculum director, educational consultant, and grant writer during her more than 38-year career in public education. She's been listed in Who's Who Among American Educators not once, but four times. Harriet's also a published author, having written six children's fiction books, 18 readers' theater plays, nonfiction material for students, and instructional material for teachers. In 2011, she was on the receiving end of the Association of Educational Publishers Distinguished Achievement Award in the area of special ed and intervention for her Shakespeare readers. In 2010, Harriet began a new venture, this time focusing on educational technology. She received a trio of research grants from the U.S. Department of Ed to create Redorium, which produces web-based software aimed at teaching students reading comprehension skills. One of Redorium's goals is to explain scientific concepts in fun, easy-to-digest ways that hopefully will instill in students a love of science and history. Redorium was awarded the 2016 National Cody Award for Best Reading English Language Arts Solution. Harriet, welcome, and thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Sandy. It's such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate your inviting me. Did you always want to be a teacher? I did set up classrooms in my home when I was a little girl, but no one would attend them. So uh, my brother and sister would walk away as soon as I started to talk. I mean, I hear about comedians who would, you know, tell funny stories or want to put on plays, but you set up classrooms. <laughs> I did, you know, I, I did my best, but, you know, evidently I, uh, my brother and sister didn't think my best was good enough. So, But that didn't stop you, Didn't correct? daunt me really at all. As you got older and you went through high school and college, that was a driving force for you, a burning desire to? be a teacher? Um, or truth, was it the times back truth, in the day that yeah. that's what women did? Truthfully, it was probably more the times. It was sort of lucky for me rather than uh, my life's goal at that time. I actually majored in history at college and um, it was when the Vietnam War was raging and they needed teachers to be in front of classrooms in New York. If you want to know the truth about it, it's, it's kind of ridiculous, but I had two options for jobs, one in social work and one in teaching, and I took the teaching job uh, and the preparation, which was a six-week course for it only because it started two weeks later than the social work job and I wanted to stay where I was mm -hmm. for an extra two weeks. So it was kind of by happen chance. Okay. And okay. It took a while to get into it and then it ended up being my life's calling and something I really love doing. What grade did you start out? Start out in second grade. I taught basically second through fifth grade. Mm -hmm. um, so and I did some stuff in middle school. I was like a, a curriculum coach in middle school and I work with sixth grade students. In New York City mostly. In New York just uh, the first three years, uh -huh. and then I was in New Jersey. So what would you say your goals were when you first started out? I kind of was above my head in terms of in, the water was above my head. I was a little bit drowning. Um, I knew that uh, we really, I needed to do something to reach all the kids in my class. There were 29 second graders. I remember this very vividly in me, and I had no clue from my six weeks of training what to do with them. And I knew that they had very different needs. And I knew that in some level I had to meet those needs, but I had no clue as to how to do that. So it was an eclectic group. It was supposed to be. In those days, this was in Howard Beach. In Queens. Uh, in Queens. Uh, there were 14 second grade classes. I had class 
to 10, which means they were 10th in ability level in terms of skill out of the 14. So it was so they, tracked, they, they tracked kids mm -hmm. uh, rather than making sure the curriculum and the instruction you know, met the needs of the kids. They tracked the kids. And yet... The needs were very, very diverse in the class. They were, you know, there were kids there because they really struggled um, with reading and other kids, you know, were bored with school and they didn't achieve as well as they couldn't. So they, they, they didn't matter. Tracking kids didn't really help. First of all, it's damaging to kids, but it didn't really help in terms of teaching. Well, was that frustrating to you that they were just sort of throwing kids at you in a sense? It was frustrating to me because I didn't have any real training. So... I, I went into the school, I took a six-week intensive training course, which included 20 minutes of student teaching. Oh, for gosh. And then I come into this class with, you know, lively kids with different needs and no clear understanding on what it took. And not only that, I didn't even know the books that we got had teacher's editions that went with them. So I didn't know how to prepare. So you were basically thrown I was thrown, thrown to the in, wolves. thrown to the wolves. I developed all my own plans because I didn't know that there even were plans out there. So in some ways, this was maybe the best thing that happened to me because I learned to read the students that I had and see what they needed and develop my plans based on the needs of my class rather than on something prepared by a major publisher. So as your teaching career progressed, did you, for the most part, and as you moved from New York City, the borough of Queens, to New Jersey, did you have carte blanche to kind of do what you felt you needed to do? In many ways, I did because of the way schools were structured at that time and because of the particular principal that I had. He felt that he, he was influenced by a book called Push Back the Desks and he or Push Back the Chairs, I forget. And he um, felt that you needed to meet the needs of the kids in front of you, that that you shouldn't use prepared curriculum, that you needed to develop things. Uh, that individually? In, well, not necessarily individually, but you needed to understand what the needs were of, of the children. He he didn't want anything put up on bulletin boards that wasn't made by students. He didn't want, you know, prepared materials. And in some ways that spoke to me and my, you know, things that I like to create very directly. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that um, over the years I really was able to grow as a teacher, understand, you know, what helps kids and what hurts them. And um, I thought I learned to teach much better because of the freedom that I was given. But as your career progressed and you started to branch out, like being a curriculum director or an educational consultant or a grant writer, were you wearing all of these hats as a teacher or you left that profession to do the others? To do the others. Um, I had a lot of jobs as a teacher. I was a technology teacher, and I taught gifted and talented groups. I worked with kids with special um, needs and did Title I work with kids who, you know, intervention. I, I got my first master's in learning disabilities. So my first goal was not grant writing and curriculum directing, but was to just learn how to address needs of students. Um, and I studied a lot about literacy. And then I changed roles, became a professional development provider for a district. I did that for five years before I became the curriculum director for the district. As you look back over your pretty impressive career, were there any surprises? I think my goal started with that group because I wasn't very good with them. I didn't know what to do. I my you know my heart <laughs> was big. My plans were big. But well, you had enthusiasm. I had enthusiasm. Uh, the kids liked me because you know I looked like I was one of them. I'm very short, and mm -hmm. I you know I was you know I, my first day in the lunchroom, the 
assistant principal to told me to sit on my chair, and I that was only the third grade lunch, you know. So <laughs> I had explained to him I was on duty, and I would love to sit down, but they probably wouldn't be a good idea. Um, you know, my passion for doing something that would make a difference was born, and it was born early on, right in my first year of teaching, and I needed to get that know-how. And I was definite about doing anything I could to really, you know, to really be able to make a difference for kids. So how did you morph from what you were doing, being the, the teaching and writing curriculum and grants, into becoming a published author? I always loved to write. Yeah, but I, you could love to write and not be any good. Well, <laughs> well that's true. After my first year teaching, I, I, like, left the classroom for a couple of years and did a, what was called the a- uh, after-school neighborhood program or something where I, it was part of the public school system, but I had small groups and I did after-school programs. And then so my, you weren't in, in the I classroom. Wasn't, I, I, I the first year just shook me up. But my then my first year in in New Jersey after that, I when again, you went back to teaching, went back to teaching in a classroom. I had a class that was tracked of very needy students who were really behind, and I had no materials for them. And that's the first year I started to write. And every night I would write stories, and I would ask the different groups of kids. I had grouped them according to skill, ability, and I'd ask them what they wanted me to write about. And every night I would write. So the, all the curriculum came really from me. I wrote the stories. I wrote crossword puzzles. I made well, all Well, it also came of, from them, too. It came from them. It was because, you know, I want to I know about space. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'll write about space. So, you know, so I was... Uh, covered with purple ink every night. We had the old mimeograph machines because every morning their stories were published for them. And uh, they grew beautifully during the year. I, you know, they were so motivated. They knew that I was listening to them and doing what they needed and what they wanted. And the scores zoomed. So they became, most of them really caught on to how to read and uh, during that year. But it's one thing to mimeograph little stories that you're writing, you know, in your office at home and then have them become published works. How did that transition occur? You know, I just wrote a lot over time and I really like to write. Um, you know, liking it and yeah. being good at it are two very yeah. different things. Yeah. I can't tell you how I became good at it. You know, it was just sometimes when I wrote, the process of what I was writing almost overtook me, and I felt like I was just the conduit to write down the story. You was know, it difficult to get your stories published? It was like a Cinderella story. Honestly, the first one I sent in was published. That's and annoying, then, yeah, and, then, <laughs> and then I wrote the second one. The first book was called The Horrible Kirk McCruel. And it was about bull, uh, the bully, school bully, and it was in rhyme. And all the way back then, all right? The and we're back, still dealing with this topic. Unfortunately, we deal with them. Um, and that was when I was retiring from my public school life. That was in 2005. So I didn't start publishing until I was finished the career as, as a teacher and mm-hmm. a curriculum director. And then they liked the second book, which was called um, Gross Alphabet Snacks. And they liked them so much. They said they would make a series. So you know, so my first, I was just my, I was just very, very, very fortunate that the right person read what I wrote. Uh, and then other companies, I started publishing for other companies as well with other companies. So would I buy your books to read at home with my children or were the school systems buying your you books? Could, either way, either way. So it happen. was a good match for you. Yeah. And I wrote in rhyme. Wrote <laughs> so it had rhyme. a cadence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I wrote about topics that, you know, that I thought were meaningful to me as a child and to other kids that I saw, you know. So it was about, you know, about bullying, about jealousy among siblings. The the, the gross alphabet snack one was just 
to be funny. Uh, and then I wrote about, um, you know, a kid who was very unathletic, a boy who was very unathletic, uh, you know, because my own children weren't all that athletic. So the kinds of things that would give kids kids angst mostly. Um, and I've written some things that I haven't even tried to publish yet, you know, about kids with disabilities and other things that I just felt were important topics and really weren't touched on enough with the things, you know, that are out there. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Harriet Izecki, who has been a teacher, curriculum director, educational consultant, grant writer, author, founder of her own company, which I think we'll move into in just a minute. But before we do, what the heck is a Shakespeare reader? Okay. <laughs> well, this was written for a company called Teacher Creative Materials. And for kids who really are poor readers, they wanted me to to write the Shakespeare stories in a form where they could put on simple plays. So Reader's Theater is really a way where you could read your part and, you know, it would take the thread of the story. But and not so I, in Shakespeare-ease. Not Shakespeare-ease See, that's, I'm um, just to personalize this, I don't think that I was taught Shakespeare properly, and I can't imagine anything more awful for me than going to see a Shakespearean play. You know, and and the and thinking to myself, I don't know what you're saying. You know, speak English kind of thing. Well, clearly he was writing in English back right. in that day, and I'm sorry I didn't have that kind of a guide. Yeah. So this this was just you know they're simple. They had a lot of restrictions, like they could only have a certain number of characters. So you didn't have all, the, but it followed the thread of the stories, mm-hmm. and I ended up writing eight of them. Um, For what age group? Uh, they are meant for probably middle school kids, mm-hmm. and I think they were used in some in some high schools as well for kids who really needed intervention and didn't get the stories. And then comes this eclectic list of books, The Cold War, the Pete Seeger story. What was the genesis of that? You know, people just asked me to write various things, and I so I wrote a lot of nonfiction, and they asked me to write about everyone from Lyndon B. Johnson to, uh, truthfully, I, I some of them I don't even remember, and I get... I get emails and letters from kids all the time saying, I read your book and it really meant a lot to me. You know, will you write back to me about stuff? And then I have to go look in the shelves and see, what did I really wrote about that? Okay. Well, <laughs> you I know. mean, you're being a little, you know, blasé about it, but I, it sounds to me that these works are very impactful. They definitely meant something to at least the kids who wrote to me. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, they... Are did, they still in... Uh, oh, yeah. They're, they're still, still being published. Oh, yeah, they're still well, being obviously, published. you know, women's suffrage, fight for women's rights. That's not changing. Unfortunately, a lot of the things that were problems years ago are still problems. Yeah, yeah. So, you really know, you have your it, work cut out for you. So it's classic, you know, it's it's a classic thing. And, and, you know, we seem to want to repeat very our problems over and over again. So to know. say the least. So let's talk about morphing from working for someone else and then starting your own company. I mean, you're obviously a very creative person and a go-getter and an initiator. So did it seem just the next step for you to focus on educational technology? Well, there was a step in between. Okay. Actually, you know, I was the curriculum director for several years. Uh, for three years. And then I decided that what I really wanted to do was uh, to do professional development all over the country. So I started a little professional development company. and To uh, help teachers? To help teachers. The way you weren't helped? Yeah. The way I, exactly. That was the other thing I got from my first year teaching. No one helped me. If I tried to talk to people during lunch about the problems that I was having, one, one person would say, I don't talk shop during lunch. So no one ever talked shop to me. So again, everything, 
you know, I, I didn't get help from the administration, from the teachers, and I felt like I was never going to let this happen to anyone that I came in contact to. So um, I had been a professional development provider for this district for five years and then the curriculum director, and I thought, you know, I really I want to go beyond this, and I, w- I don't want to do anything that has to do with politics anymore. I want to go out and just do professional development. And I did that, and I did it all over the country. And I, you know, I wanted to share what I knew about teaching literacy skills, there were a lot of things that I that I did workshops on. And then I did this for another five years or so. And uh, actually, I came into this entrepreneurial thing completely by accident. Uh, my son saw a Craigslist ad that someone wanted a partner to write a grant, and I had done a lot of grant writing, to write a, a literacy grant for the U.S. Department of Education. For It's called Small Business Innovative Research Grants. And... Anyway, he, you know, he said, why don't you answer this guy? He's looking for somebody. I said, okay, sure. So I did. And, you know, I wrote it. And having literally no idea how competitive it was, I had never heard of it before. Uh, And so uh, it was due in January. And in May, we found out that we won. And it was a grant for companies with 500 or fewer employees. And what they didn't know was just myself and this other person, and he knew nothing about education. He knew something about business, he said. So I wrote this, but I I knew what I wanted to do, and this had kind of percolated this dream of doing something beyond what I could reach through even professional development to go directly to students, um, a program that would exactly go back to my first year, differentiate based on students' responses. So we write the books, every book, at 10 to 12 different levels, with different amounts of support, and based on what the kids do, the computer reacts and can give them exactly the information they need and help them in the ways that they need. So that was the first project. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that that was the project that I started this this business. And how long did that occupy you? Well, the first grant was for six months, and in six months you had to go from the idea stage to field testing it getting the results. Mm -hmm. And in that first uh, six months, I'm not sure I slept. It was a a very exciting first because the field test was really successful. And it It, flew. And it flew. And we were told that seven of the 14 national recipients would get the full development grant. And we were one of the seven, which when we originally went to Washington and saw that you know, everybody else was from Stanford or whatever, or had won multiple ones of these before, and we were the new people on the block. Working out you of know, your basement. In working a, out of my in basement. In a Bergen County, New Jersey house. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't think, you know, we had a shot at it, but we won it. And then the second project was so successful that we were able to win a third uh, grant to bring it down to upper elementary school students. We started with middle school because the need was the greatest. It was the hardest nut to crack, and I wanted to start by doing something that I knew we needed desperately, uh, you know, educate, you know, we need desperately as a country and, you know, the kids really needed this. So the, the, the program also became fun for kids because we asked the kids, what would make this fun for you? You know, we knew that the, that the structure of the program was going to produce good results in comprehension, uh, but we didn't know what would make it fun for someone in seventh grade. And we figured only a seventh grader would know that. We did something called Cash for Creativity. We told the kids that they would get a dollar for every idea that we could use to make the program more engaging. So you bought them off, huh, I bought them off. 
And we told him, but we couldn't lose a million dollars. We didn't have it. We told him only the first person who sent in that idea would we'll get the, the money. Get the dollar. Yeah. And we literally got thousands of ideas. We collated and we saw what most kids wanted. Because uh, kids literally sent, they, you know, they thought they were going to get Nobody rich. ever thinks to ask them, you though. Know, they responded. They responded. And so we knew that they wanted music. We knew that they wanted animation. We knew that they wanted game elements. We knew what they wanted by the time we were finished sifting and collating everything. And we put their, their elements into it. And then the next time we field tested it, the kids loved the program. We said, you're going to speak for everybody your age. Mm-hmm. So put in things that you think really going to make a difference, you know, and the, put in suggestions. So how was that the did. precursor to Redorium? Well, that was part of Redorium. That mm-hmm. was how, that was one of the iterations of Redorium. Okay. That's how, you know, we moved it from something that was helpful to kids, but frankly kind of boring for them, mm-hmm. into something that some of the kids became like totally addicted to because they were, you know, they, they wanted contests. We put it all in there. What is Redorium today? We spent the first five years where we, where we were under the the grant auspices, really with development. With the U.S. Department of Education. With the U.S. Department of Education. We really, we didn't want to put something out there that wasn't going to make a meaningful difference for children. And the goal was to get this incorporated into school districts around the country. Absolutely. You know, for middle school students and for upper elementary students, we wanted to become a household name. We wanted to get it to everybody. You know, we, you know, people can also buy for their children at home. And this is ex- exclusively reading comprehension? It's reading comprehension and it's also learning science. Because what it does is we, we have full books, chapter books in science so that the kids can get excited about subject matter. So I think one of the things that we do that's different is we marry the strategy lessons uh, and the word learning skills with actual books that are in topics that kids care about, that are science-based, that are that are aligned with um, the science standards, but are, they're interesting for kids. So the science of music or ah. uh, the physics of the Olympics, of Olympic sports. So things that kids care about, but they, you know, that they will learn the science through something that's very, very important to them and that they, and that, that they care. And about. how hard is this to sell to other educators? The thing is that there are very big companies out there that are well known and you have to actually, you have to get known. We do pilots and things. We, we, if we find the more people use it, the, you know, the more that they want it. So to become from unknown to known mm. is a challenge. Uh, and and what uh, was it just learning by doing? Just learning by doing, just trying everything. And we're still learning by doing, to tell you the truth. We applied this year for this National Cody Award. I had no expectation we would win. What is it? It's the only peer review reward system in te- in, ed- in ed technology. So it's a, you know, it's a very prestigious, well-known award, and you go before judges, and then if you're a finalist, um, then the the entire body of people who belong to this organization called Software Industry and Information Association, it's a big organization, vote on it at the end. You know, we knew we were a finalist. We had no thought that we would possibly win this because we were up against people like college boards, you know, that, that put something out in our category. Um, there's a, you know, other programs that were very well known. And so when our name was announced, we started screaming so much that we didn't even hear what they said about us. Luckily, they sent us the clips. And of, what did they you know, send you? So what does this mean? What is being well, the recipient, aside from the, you know, impressive honor, what does it mean, you know, concretely? It's just another way of 
showing people, you know, that we're not just tout, you know, touting, tooting our own horn, touting ourselves. You but know? They, well, there's meat on the bone here. But this is what's interesting to me, though. So you win this award and you get a lot of accolades. But school districts have to buy into this literally and figuratively. Now, let's call it what it is. <laughs> That's just not happening with the same degree that it did years ago, right? How do you marry that? Right. How do you make this work? Obviously, you want your company to fly, but it's also, there's a purpose to this, to educating children. Right. The The reality is it's really, um, it's really hard. You know, it's really difficult. So we, we make phone calls, we do demonstrations, we go to schools, we do, you know, we do professional development for the schools. Yeah, but if I say to you, hey, this is really great stuff, you know, Miss Izeki, but I don't have a, I don't have any money. Right. Then sometimes what we do is we say, well, Try it for a month. See how the kids take to it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, see if, they, you know, you can find money somewhere for it. Mm-hmm. And then often, because the kids love it so much, the money is found. I don't mean to be a downer about it, but you just have to, you know, my head's not in the sand. I mean, what are they cutting in schools? Art, music, whatever. Now, we're not right. talking about this. You, this is a science reading comprehension thing. But, uh, you know, you sort of shudder at what's going on. I mean, make the comparison yourself. Even though you didn't know what you were doing back years ago. I mean, look at what's happened in the time since you first started teaching. Right. I mean, they're they're taking money away from districts. It's yes. True. And, you know, there are districts that are firing teachers right and left and cutting out their summer programs and staff. So it is a very tough time. We not only have this program for the kids that really, you know, all kids can read the same information, but it it, it differentiates, it personalizes Mm -hmm. your learning to you so that you can learn the information. But we also have a component for teachers so that they can see who's struggling with what, and we have lessons and things for them to use with kids. So we feel that it's... It's, we don't charge a lot of money, and mm-hmm. we feel like it's a way that any teacher can learn how to really personalize and differentiate instruction. You know, that's how we do it. We've just been recommended by the National Science Teachers Association for the resources, and, um, you know, we, we've won a couple of other awards. I mean, the goal is to get this nationwide. What about overseas? Have you ever thought about that? Yes, actually. Internationally? Yeah, we do. We have a, a person who's now going to sell for us in the Caribbean. We have a group in South America. Um, and as somebody who in the Far East. That's so also, Harriet, I mean, you're like, this is a big deal. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully it'll catch on because it's it's something that really has value. And it's, it's a, a mission. mission. We are mm-hmm. mission-driven, mm-hmm. and it's a complete mission on my part. But, you know, again, we don't charge a lot. We do the best we can. We customize service. We really try to help people to integrate it into their day and what they're doing. But you Is know, there a different approach for an urban school versus a suburban school or not really? You know, it's interesting because we actually developed it for kids that have problems, you know, mm-hmm. really, you know, have problems reading. But it turned out because it, it personalizes to every child, it is used in some districts for their gifted program and hmm. for their, sometimes their after school program. So it really depends. So it's not really that different because it becomes personally yours. And we, you know, we're very sensitive to people, you know, the, the people use it and they want to see people of different races and, you know, men and women, mm-hmm. you know. So each book has a personal mentor and that mentor, um, you know, we're, we have a, a collection of people that are wonderful from you know, different ethnic groups um, that so the kids can see someone that looks like them. We're running out of time, but just before we kind of wrap this up, what's in the future? Anything else up your sleeve? We're starting a new project, which is very cool. And we actually already have the technology for it where the computer not, not only figures out 
what the kid gets right or wrong, but the kinds of questions they struggle with answering and what are the kinds of questions that are easy for them. So we have articles that are paired with the most popular fiction books. These are the science articles. So, for example, if you read Charlotte's Web, we'll have articles about pigs and we'll have articles about spiders. Mm -hmm. We'll have them on different levels. And we'll have them with different kinds of worksheets that have different brain skills that they um, stress. So if you're Johnny Jones and you read at a particular level, the article will print out at your level with the kind of brain work that you need. So let's say you need inferring skills because you're weak at that. This will come with inferring, you know, and with your name on it. So the teacher... It'll so it's very personalized. Very personalized. The teacher will just have to print them out. We'll have a lesson plan that shows how to coordinate the three groups of kids with the with the article and with the graphic organizer that personalizes for the kid that needs Super. it. So that's our you know, that's our personalization system. We're working on that. Well, you made this easy for me. Harriet, thanks so much for joining me today. We've run out of time. Oh, I appreciate this more than I can tell you. And a much continued success. Thank you so much, Sandy. I appreciate it. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women, and please go to our iTunes store page and leave a rating and a review. And if you know anyone you think that we should interview, contact us at sandykleinshow.com.